Hello, and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Hassan Galadari. I'm a board-certified dermatologist who lives and practices in Dubai, the United Arab Emirates. I'm also an assistant professor of dermatology at the College of Medicine and Health Sciences at the UAE University. I would like to welcome you all to the American Academy of Dermatology's Dialogues in Dermatology Career Launch Series. The topic we're going to be recording today is going to be adding a skill to your repertoire or a product to your practice. With me today is Dr. Arissa Ortiz, a board-certified dermatologist who is the Director of Laser and Cosmetic Dermatology at uh, UCSD and is an Associate Clinical Professor of Dermatology. Dr. Ortiz, how are you feeling today? Good. Thank you so much for having me. A pleasure having you with us. Dr. Ortiz, we're going to start straight into the subject here. A lot of our young dermatologists, once they finish their residency, they're pretty much kind of lost and confused on what machine is going to be important for them to kind of acquire once they set up their own private practice. So in your experience, what do you think is probably the most important machines to have? Should we have all? Because there's just a lot of them out there. And how practical would that be? And if not, then what would the person start off first? Yeah, well, the most common thing that I see, the most common complaint is going to be reds and browns. So things like rosacea, lentigines, those are always the most common, your bread and butter. But if you're just starting out and you don't have a lot of capital, you know, you want to remember that there's a lot of things that you can do that don't require equipment like injectables, you know, you can do fillers, you can do toxins, you can do some body sculpting with deoxycholic acid. So it may be good to kind of wait and see what type of patient population you have and see what patients are asking for and then kind of make your decision based on that. But I would definitely say that the most common complaint, like I said, was reds and browns. So you might want to get like a vascular laser or maybe even consider an IPL. I know platforms are more popular these days, so you can get multiple wavelengths or multiple devices on one platform. So that's another thing to consider. Okay, so we're going to start off with, for example, a laser, you would go with a vascular laser and rather than, for example, a laser hair removal machine. Yeah, you know, laser hair removal is is difficult because you have a lot of medi spas in the surrounding area. Well, again, depends where you practice. But like for me in San Diego, there's a lot of medi spas that offer hair removal at a ridiculously low price, and it's hard to compete with that. And of course, you know, obviously you're going to offer safer treatments, more effective treatments, but patients don't always know that. So I definitely wouldn't start out with laser hair removal because that's probably not what you're going to see. Again, I, I think you know, vascular for rosacea, you could do red scars, things like that, or something for pigment, because that's what patients come in asking for. Okay. So, I mean, when it comes to a vascular laser, what would be your favorite? I mean, are we talking about a pulse dye laser, say, for example, or, you know, some of the other types of lasers that can also be used for like a a YAG laser can also be used for in in a vascular setting? Yeah, you know, I think they're both great. I trained with a pulse dye laser, so I had a bias towards that, but then it just worked out that in my practice, I have a KTP. I think they're both good for various reasons. The 
PDL might be a little bit more forgiving in darker skin types. So if you tend to have darker skin patients, then you might want to consider a PDL. KTP, because it's a shorter wavelength, is not as forgiving in, in darker skin. But I do find it really effective for like discrete telangiectasia, you know, and also background erythema. So I, I think it just depends like what kind of deal you can get for your practice, but I think they're both great options. KTP, PDL, you can't go wrong. Again, you want to consider an IPL because then you can get reds, you can get browns. Sometimes there's other filters you can add for skin tightening or for hair removal, like you mentioned. So an IPL, because IPL these days are, are a lot better than they used to be. So I use an IPL a lot in my practice as well. Okay. All right. So if you are going to go for, for example, an IPL machine, is there, for example, one in particular that you kind of prefer? I have a few. The one that I tend to use the most is the BBL. So that's the BBL by Cyton. The reason why I like it is because it's really titratable. So you can titrate the pulse duration, you can change the cooling, you can change the fluence, obviously. And then also the filters are just little, they're like little filter slides that you can just slide right in. So you don't have to change the whole handpiece. I have another device that you have to actually like remove the handpiece, go get the other handpiece and put it on if if you're trying to use a different filter. And that's a little cumbersome. I mean, it seems like it would only take a second, but one, you have to store it. And then two, you have to like go get it. So if when you're in the middle of a treatment, it's just a lot easier to kind of slide in the filter. So that's why I like that one. And it's pretty effective too. So, but there's so many different IPLs on the market. So again, just see what else it has on it, what you can add to it, what you think you're going to be doing in the future. Okay. All right. My, my other question would be, for example, would you buy these machines or would you kind of lease them? How would that work? I mean, a lot of our residents, you know, they, they just come out and, you know, they're eager about getting all these fancy schmancy machines. And, you know, they it's either like everybody talks about or recommends something. and But, you know, they cost just too much. So would you buy, for example, a second hand me down, say, for example, or would you buy something that's new? Yeah. I mean, obviously the ones that you buy secondhand are going to be a lot cheaper, but then you have to consider the service contract because if you don't buy from the company, then sometimes they might get you on the service contract. And so you might be paying a lot more and end up in trouble in that way. But if you can find an outside engineer or someone to service the laser, then you may get out of that. So I would just look into those things, you know, make sure you understand all the pricing before you rent or lease a secondhand device. Renting a device is another option. So there's a lot of companies that rent devices. So I would get the downside of that is that then you would have to kind of schedule all your patients on that one day when you rent the device for the day. So if that works for your practice, then you know that's probably the cheapest option. I would say you're probably not going to be as comfortable with those devices if it's just in your office, you know, once a month or something like that. I know in my practice that that wouldn't work. You know, I kind of need the device there because sometimes you add on a procedure, you know, the patient comes in, they want to do it right then. So if you're renting it just for the day, you know, then patients may not like having to come back at another time. So those are just things to consider, but it, you know, maybe just to start out to see what devices you like, it might be beneficial to rent just temporarily, maybe your first year in practice, kind of decide what you think is the most cost-effective for your practice, and then you'll have a better understanding of what to buy. 
Okay. All right. Those are great points there, Dr. Ortiz. So you've got the vascular laser or, you know, you, for example, the brown laser for, for the brown spots. What about the things that are used for rejuvenation? I mean, we, you know, there's talk about the fractionated technology and so forth. When do we move then? Should we buy them initially or should just we wait until we build up our practice and then kind of get into that? And if we do, which one would you kind of prefer? Yeah. So if I had to say what's the next most common, like you mentioned, you know, something for resurfacing. So I would probably start with like a non-ablative fractional device because you can address wrinkles, you can address pigment as well. You can address acne scars. If you have a younger patient population or even some older patients, but acne scar is another common complaint. And so I wouldn't start with something ablative unless you're going to be doing a lot of resurfacing if your patients are very like photo damaged and they're coming in asking for aggressive treatments, then, you know, then I would consider it. But I think if you're just starting out, I would definitely consider going non-ablative first because it's hard to convince patients to go through all that downtime, you know, well, pain and downtime with fractional ablative procedures. So I think, especially for acne scarring, you know, the patients need multiple procedures. So I think non-ablative is just more practical. So I would consider a, a non-ablative fractional device. All right. So you mentioned the non-ablative. I mean, like, you know, you, you being the expert, would you go for, for example, an erbium or would you go for a CO2 or does it really matter? So if we're moving on to ablative devices and you, you know, erbium versus CO2, they're, they're comparable. I have a slight preference for the ablative erbium because there's less risk of that permanent hypopigmentation that you can get with the CO2. It's also a little bit safer in darker skin. So I prefer the erbium. I also feel like the recovery is a little bit faster with erbium than with with CO2. But you know, it's like Coke and Pepsi. They're, They're very similar. I think you can't go wrong. I personally use an erbium, but CO2, you can get great results as well. Okay. And uh, in terms of their use, I mean, you mentioned acne scars and is there, you mentioned also wrinkles. Is there any other indications that these devices may be used for? Yes, of course. You know, um, like surgical scars, photo aging, surgical scars, sometimes ablative can help with laxity a little bit, but you know, obviously there's tightening devices, um, which we can get to, but I would say that's the majority of what you would do. Wrinkles, scarring, um, textural improvement. And then, you know, I don't want to say stria because I don't think anything works great for stria, but it might be something else to consider. You know, you came up with my second question right now is which are the tightening devices. So what tightening devices would you kind of recommend if you're just starting practice? Yeah. So, you know, with tightening devices, obviously the results are unpredictable because some patients respond better than others and you can't predict who's going to respond best off the bat. You just have to try it and see. I think some devices are more consistent than others. So you have like radio frequency, you have needle RF, you have ultrasound devices. So, you know, the benefit of doing needle RF is that you get improvement in tightening and texture. So there are many devices that are out that offer that, but then there's a little bit of downtime. I would say most of my patients who are looking for tightening like 
the devices that have zero downtime because then they can do it at lunch or go right back to work and no one knows that they had anything um, done. So right now I'm using the intense ultrasound beam technology. So it uses ultrasound and it's like a minimal pain during, no pain after, and then no, no downtime. So I like that device because it doesn't require a lot of pain control. You can just use a topical anesthetic and that's usually sufficient. Monopolar radio frequency is also a good option. So again, you know, you kind of want to look at these devices and kind of see what deal you can get. Um, but I, I think something with no downtime is usually what patients prefer. All right. Well, what, what does Dr. Ortiz prefer? So we've got RF and we've got ultrasound. Where do you see yourself? You know, technology is like constantly evolving. So right now I prefer the intense ultrasound beam technology. So I'm using ultrasound currently. I've certainly used radio frequency devices in the past and they work okay. Um, my patient satisfaction with this has been greater. So it's also not a very long treatment. Like it takes 35, 40 minutes to do full face and full neck. So that's currently what I'm using. Okay. All right. Now we're going to move to the body devices, for example, like, you know, cool sculpting, you know, cryolipolysis and so forth and all that. What would you prefer, for example, if you're also setting up practice, do you find that these devices enhance the practice or do you also feel that they've become very similar to like, you know, laser hair removal devices in which, you know, the, the spa next door is kind of doing it for, you know, ridiculously low prices? I'm a little worried that it's headed in that direction. I certainly wouldn't buy that as my first device because like you said, you're competing with spas where they're paying technicians to do this. And so, you know, they're offering it at very low prices. I and mean, some of the newer devices, I think they're even lowering the price even more. So I wouldn't necessarily start out with a body sculpting practice, unless it's something that you're really focused on. You know, if you do liposuction and you're getting that patient population and, you know, when you have a consultation, if you feel like someone isn't appropriate for liposuction, then you might offer them, you know, a non-invasive body contouring device. So if that's your type of practice, then it would make sense to add it in the beginning. But otherwise, I would say that's probably something that you would add on later after your vascular, after your pigment, after your surfacing, after your tightening, because it's, it's not going to be, I don't, I mean, at least in my practice, I wouldn't say it's going to be the most popular procedure. I mean, it's great to have, I love having body contouring as an option, but if you're just starting out, I don't think it makes sense. All right. So how about this? I mean, what's coming up? What's new that's coming very, very soon that we should kind of look forward to? there's a few devices on the market that I'm kind of excited about. So there's a device that's using micro core extraction. So essentially they're tiny little punch biopsies, so small that they don't leave a scar. And it's like removing 50% of your tissue. So it's almost like a non-invasive or minimally invasive facelift. So it's for skin tightening. And when you do a facelift, obviously you're removing tissue, but it leaves you with scars. So by removing it as like tiny little punch biopsies, you can get a scarless almost facelift. So that's that's kind of what I'm, I'm excited about. Um, I think that may, may change the market a little bit. Awesome. That's, that's really cool. So in summary, so if you want to summarize for the, the, you know, the, the budding practice that is out there, what are your recommendations here? 
Yeah, so in summary, I would say that you want to understand your patient population. I think that's the number one most important thing. You want to know, you know, what are the age of your patients? What are they looking for? And so it might make sense to wait a few months and kind of get like a gestalt of, of what they're looking for and then start to add your devices based on that. And then when you're learning new devices, I just want to make sure that you're careful and take everything the rep says with a grain of salt, right? I mean, you know, we're board certified dermatologists. We've, we've trained a lot. And so just go with your gut and your instinct. And if, you know, a rep says, oh, don't worry, try this. It's safe. If it doesn't seem safe to you, just, you know, remember you, you know better. So, you know, you don't want to get in trouble and then maybe practice on your friends and family when, when you're getting a new device before you try it out on a patient. But yeah, I, I think just understanding your market, that's the most important thing. And, uh, you know, from, from what I've heard also is that don't feel pressured on buying like the latest craze that is out there. So probably like be a little bit more patient. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, it's always nice to like be the first one to have something, but sometimes it's also better to wait because then you can see if it's something that's one really effective. So make sure there's studies on the devices that show it's really effective and that it's not just like a trend that's going to drop off next year. Um, so, you know, it's also kind of good to, to watch a little bit. I like having devices first, but, <laughs> but I also like to watch. <laughs> And probably also ask, I mean, you know, the, the nice thing about our community is that, you know, we can always ask our peers. I mean, you've been very helpful with a number of our colleagues. Uh, if they wanted to kind of start their practice and they ask you for advice on, about a certain device, it's always good to kind of ask your peers too. Absolutely. Yes. I think that's probably the number one most helpful thing is if you have a friend or even if you don't know them, you, I'm sure like from Facebook or whatever, you can reach out to someone that you know has the device that you're interested in and they're going to tell you, you know, the the truth versus like, you know, talking to a rep, obviously they're biased. So I think if you're not sure, yeah, talk to a friend or, or a colleague who has the device. That's, that's a good point. Dr. Ortiz, it's wonderful having you with us. And, you know, it's a, it was a pleasure talking to you again. Thank you so much for staying up so late, Dr. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. For more podcasts, including bonus issues, check us out online at the website of the American Academy of Dermatology or through the Dialogues in Dermatology app. You can now also sync your subscription to your favorite podcast app. New podcasts are released each week in addition to our monthly JAD podcasts. We hope you enjoy these new options for listening to dialogues and the increasing content for your listening pleasure. Thank you.